That should do it. It started. Awesome. What is all right, you ready? Yeah. All right, we're going to get right into it. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to episode 27 of the Lombard Trucking Show. I'm glad you can all be here. It's my first time on video. This is a very uncommon thing, so excuse any of my pauses or something, but it's tough to look at myself and talk. Normally, I do this while I drive, or normally, I just sit on my, sit on my bed like this and talk and go and deepen conversation with myself. So we're here, though, as promised, video. I have my, a special guest with me. A uh, good friend, longtime listener, A1 since day one, my friend Zoe out there in Oklahoma. She's here to talk to us today about what the hell is going on in the oil and gas industry. We're going to get into the inside baseball on that. So with that, I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell tell us why she's qualified to, to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Hey, y'all. I'm excited to be on. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Um, I'm honored to be the first uh, guest. Um, but let's get right into it. So I am 26 years old. I went down to Texas A&M for my undergrad in geosciences. Uh, knew I wanted to apply that to something related to energy in general. Um, took a bunch of petroleum related classes, be that geology, uh, geography, geo, everything. Um, A&M offers a lot of oil-related classes, big surprise if you're familiar. Um, and then I ended up staying for my master's and got my master's in geosciences. From there, I was really fortunate to get a internship right off the bat. It was 2020 when I graduated with my master's. Um, and I went to work with this really small environmental consultant. And if you don't know what an environmental consultant is, uh, they can do like a wide variety of work from anywhere from, oh gosh, sorry. Uh -oh. Um, the first foul of the, of the, all right, the first party foul. Okay, so environmental consultants, they can get hired to do anything from um, uh, construction related things, uh, they'll be out there making sure the ground is solid. Um, uh, you can do, you can hire a consultant to do a phase one, an environmental assessment before you buy a property. They'll look into the history of the surrounding areas. Um, if there's been a spill or some type of contaminant that you would be liable for once you um, purchase the property, things like that. In my case, uh, this environmental consultant I worked for down in College Station, Texas, uh, it was 99% oil and gas. So I was out in uh, oil fields for the entire summer. Um, being the only female, it was really interesting. And by only female, I quite literally mean only female. Um, I learned real quick uh, that... <laughs> Sometimes you got to pee behind a tree or just not have the comforts and luxury of like a normal office space. That's fine. That's good. Um, but I really and truly fell in love with the industry. I love the people. I think oil and gas gets a really bad reputation. Um, and I think it's wrongfully so. Um, but that being said, after at the end of my internship, uh, 
the company was so small and it being 2020, they were really unable to keep me and hire me on full time. So I ended up going about six months without working in the oil and gas industry. Um, I would recommend to any listener who's interested in prices specifically to uh, get a rig zone account and we can link that later if you want. But that will send you reports every single day at the end of um, uh, like, gosh, I'm blanking. Um, when like Wall Street closes for the day. So oh yeah, when they uh, yeah when they close the the financial markets and stuff. Yeah, I yeah. get those emails now too. Since you told me to sign up for it, it is great. I was going to mention it at the end of the podcast, but if people if people hear it now. Yeah, Rig Zone, sign up. You'll get email updates about stuff going on, and because obviously oil is in the global market. Oh yeah, they get into, um, they'll link current events, but mostly the daily report is a rundown on prices, international and uh, domestic. Um, so I kind of stayed on top of things with that. I also am studying for my professional geologist uh, stamp. It's kind of like a professional engineer. Um, most of y'all might be familiar with that because it's a little more popular, but PG, basically the same thing, but for geology, my stamp and name would go on reports and stuff. Um, so yeah, studying for that right now, it's a big test. Um, uh, so I continued doing that and then I applied for jobs. I worked at Orange Theory, shout out, uh, Lake Line, <laughs> where I met Mike and Drea. And that's my wife. Yep. That's my wife who I mentioned on the podcast. And, uh, when I'm not over the road, that's where I'm at getting, getting my workouts in. Heck yeah. So then, uh, I ended up getting this job opportunity for another environmental consultant up in Oklahoma and took that, um, worked for them for about a year, and then I'm now with my current company. We do not only oil and gas related, but um, we do a lot of work for hydroelectric dams, uh, um, big electrical companies in general. Like We go out and inspect substations to keep them in compliance with the DEQ and EPA. Um, so we'll do regulatory stuff, compliance, um, and then if there's spills, we'll go out and uh, we'll sample, we'll delineate, which means we'll figure out, like, especially if it's underground, you have to figure out how far out and how deep it went. So we'll delineate and um, basically take samples all over the place and like, and then map out what came back hot, what didn't, and then we figure out a plan of how to remediate and clean up the spill and bring it back to normal. Um, a lot of people don't realize that most oil and gas companies lease their land from ranchers. So A, a people think that like, oh, if an oil company loses like 10,000 barrels, they don't care because they make so much money off of it. In this economy, no. First of all, they're losing product. Second of all, they're about to spend millions cleaning it up. Third of all, they have the landowner to um, uh, account for. So they're going to be pissed. They're going to be pissed if their cattle die. They're going to be pissed if their ponds are contaminated. Um, they're going to be pissed if there's even a shadow of a doubt that their cattle died because of something that a oil and gas company did. So, oh, because they can they could terminate that lease. See, I didn't know that. I I had figured it was owned. It was either state owned land or they bought it from these people. But yeah, I so I didn't. So some of these people out there, yeah, because they, they could just end the lease or kick kick them or off. Just 
rack up millions. I mean, they can do anything. And even, um, so yeah, I would say, gosh, there was, I've been on some projects that were BLM land, Bureau of Land Management. Um, but that probably accounted for like 5% of the work I've been on. Usually it's people's own personal ranches. Um, if they, they'll warn you, like if you shoot a snake, if you kill a cattle, like there's literally price points of how much you would owe that landowner for killing a snake even. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So they're a lot more careful than people think in that regard. Um, but also, so I'll, I've said it before and people were like, in a fury about it. They were just in a fit about it. I, I said once on Facebook that the oil and gas industry is one of the most environmentally conscious, environmentally friendly, maybe even industries out there. And people were just I'm, like, that's absolutely not true. No, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because I, you know, similar things to like hunters, you know, people say that about, uh, you know, people go hunt like the most, the people who care the most about the environment are people are, you know, people who go hunting because they want it to be unkept and left alone. And yeah, when it comes to the people who are probably, you know, watching, you know, reading the fine lines, the oil and gas industry is doing it more than, you know, more than most I, I'd imagined, but see, most people don't know. Most people wouldn't, wouldn't assume that because of just what they see. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that plays a big factor into it. Just the fact that they're on someone else's land, land that that family has probably owned for generations, especially down in Texas and Oklahoma too. Um, and then another thing just for the amount of regulations from federal and state level government and agencies, there's so many environmental re regulations. So probably the most out of any industry. So like, um, I wonder how they can compare up to the Department of Transportation. That's what I was actually about to give <laughs> as an example. And I then I was thinking, I wonder. But if you think about, like, um, I mean, I'm sure every everything has their regulations. But especially if you compare between renewables and uh, oil and gas, um, it's like tenfold. Just because especially the government is trying to promote renewables and they're trying to make their lives a little easier. So between the regulations, all the compliance work you need to do, it's hard not to be on the up and up, I guess, um, especially with oil and gas companies being in the spotlight right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's good, and we'll and we'll and we'll actually touch on that in a little bit. But you you know you you were talking about what you've been doing lately, uh, and your current job, you know, working where you're at. So what, yeah, so what have you been doing like within the past few weeks? You had mentioned that you had been out to uh, you know what uh, the the West Memphis area. So what were you doing out there? Yeah, so um, a lot of gas stations lately are looking at switching their E15 or ethanol blends to E15, meaning that up to 15% of the gasoline or diesel uh, is going to have ethanol. Um, so higher ethanol percentage than what they normally carry. Um, uh, most consumers are livid about that. Um, and why, why is that? Because I've been hearing about that too. So ethanol, um, I don't, I don't really, I'm not certain about all the mechanics behind it, but it's not good for your car, basically. Okay, and so yeah, it's not as, yeah, it doesn't. It's not as efficient. I, 
it might corrode. I'm not really sure exactly what it does. I'd love if, if one of your listeners knows why or what's up with that, I'd love to know the answer. But so yeah, hopefully were, somebody reaches out because I want to know. I'm sure there's got to be some farmer or somebody in agriculture who hopefully listens who knows what ethanol does. Because, I mean, yeah. I remember, you know, I because that's the, I have no idea what it is. I mean, I For just some that, some places say biodiesel. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, any mechanics who know. Yeah, please reach out to know what the deal with the ethanol is. So you've been out there testing yeah. their it's actually stuff. It's interesting, though, because um, ethanol that is from Brazil, which is most, mostly sugarcane, that runs easier on your cars and trucks than U.S. ethanol, which is corn. I was going to say, I knew that ethanol was corn. I had no idea that we got ethanol from Brazil like that. See, there's a lot of stuff people don't know that goes into goes into all this. So that's pretty cool. So you've been going to fuel stations and just testing there. Yeah, so we, we basically go and look at their inventory and see, because ethanol is hard on mechanics, we go and see what they currently have and if ethanol would work for their specific store. Ah, okay, gotcha. So that's what, so, so no, that's pretty and, cool. And you've been getting pushback from it from places. Yeah, so I've, um, and really it's, I'm not even familiar enough with the equipment to know by looking at it. I would assume the newer stuff would work better with E15 is what they call it. But um, I had a store manager who was asking me what we were doing and I was telling him and he was like, oh, please fail us. Fail us because we do not want E15. Our customers don't want it. We don't want it. And I was like, oh, well, it's not really pass or fail. You know, I'm trying to explain it to him. And he's like, just fail. Me. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that's funny. Aside from that, gosh, last week I was out in Cushing, Oklahoma. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Cushing, but that's the nation's largest storage hub for oil reserves. That's where our nation's like um, reserves are. That's um, where they, um, what they've been talking about, how the, you know how we've been releasing supply from. I know that there's a lot in Louisiana, but I, yeah, I had no idea about Oklahoma. So that's that's cool. Yeah, Cushing, Oklahoma. So I was out there. Um, there. Uh, they're basically called tank farms. If you look at it from a map, it's like the whole entire area is just storage tanks, storage tanks and some above ground pipeline. Um, we had a client who had a little bit of a spill situation. So I went out there and um, <laughs> just took some samples. It really wasn't that much. It was only a few barrels worth, which a barrel is 43 gallons. And um, so a few barrels worth, and they, in that case, that's a super easy cleanup because it was above ground. If it was underground, that'd be a different story, but they were able to just ex excavate all the stained soil dirt. They take it to a landfill that can handle hazardous waste or special waste. And then I come over and I sample and make sure they got everything. And then once, once they, once I, look at the lab results and say, yes, you're good to go. Then they can fill it in with sand or dirt or however they want to fill in that hole. Um, I've been out, gosh, I was out one time and I get to this site and I'm like, it doesn't look like you had a spill out here. And they're like, well, yeah, we, we covered it up. And I was like, okay, that's actually not what you're supposed to do, but. <laughs> oh man. Now, hopefully this will get the view counters up on this one. Hopefully, hopefully some, some people, some people are going to see this now. They're going to, some feds might be taking trips out to Oklahoma shortly to go check out that land. You know, it happens, but people don't know. And that's why they hire an environmental consultant. Uh, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. That, that sums it up well. And if, you know, and uh, that's you know that's uh, I learned something new and I'm and I'm glad uh, that's that's why I'm, that's why I'm having you on. You know, one of the 
one of the biggest reasons why I wanted you on is because you mentioned earlier about, you know, you going to A&M, you know, and you also mentioned how you've made a post on Facebook talking about how oil and gas is very environmentally friendly, uh, especially how they act and how people disagreed with that. Um, but it's like, you're the person who took classes specific to oil and gas and petroleum. Whereas I have, you know, friends of mine who claim to be, you know, and, you know, conscious of the environment and claim that they want to help, you know, help the environment, but it's like, they haven't taken one oil and gas class. And it's like, and that's one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to have you on because you're somebody who's, you've taken one class about the oil and gas industry, which makes you more qualified than 99% of people on the internet, including, including myself. So yeah, no, it's, it's very important. And what you're doing now is, is very cool and kind of segueing on into that with what you do now uh, with consulting and people who do spills. So obviously there are accidents that happen in this industry. Oils, you know, spill, you know, I'm, you know, I remember the BP oil spill happening and stuff like that. So how do you feel kind of about the future of energy? Where do you think the, you know, where do you think the country's going? What are your thoughts about climate change and, you know, what could we do to, you know, what's, what's your opinions on all, all that? Just, you know, about the future and what we can do with climate change. Um, well, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, I know, because we could, we could, we could, I could crack it. I could go right inside the loves right now and grab a 12 pack. And we could probably talk about that until sunrise. Dude, honestly, um, we might have to make this a part two, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which could do, which could, we could easily do. Yeah, we can, we'll definitely do a follow up because I hope to get some questions and then we'll bring you on for round two. Yeah, so. First, we'll touch on like climate change. Um, very, my most like superficial statement I'll say is like, if climate change wasn't on some level natural, we'd still be in an ice age. That's like, I. Oh yeah, there's definitely yeah. There, there's no argument against how the 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 planet has gone through cycles as yeah. such. Absolutely. And a lot, then people will say, well, this is the fastest the climate's warming. That's not necessarily true. Um, back when I was at a and I, there's this really cool research program that a and operates actually. Um, it's called the International Ocean Discovery Program, and they took an old drill rig, converted it into a research cruise ship, and they'll go out and drill down and recover ocean cores for research purposes. So I was with a professor for, gosh, uh probably four years between my undergrad and master's. And we were studying the Pliocene-Pleistocene boundary, which was a time in history much like this transitional phase is now. And so I was studying um, ocean core sediments from that time period, um, specifically the fossils um, and how the species changed because there's like cold, uh, bugs that like cold water more than bugs that like warm water and vice versa, if that makes sense. Um, so we were studying like how quickly the change was from like it being more cold species to warm species. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, like I said, people think that this is an anomaly and it's really not. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I, I don't really, I don't know how much more I want to say on that at the moment. Um, I, yeah, you not, you know, people, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you said what you said because it's, it, you know, it touches on that little controversial and the little edgy side, but you're, you're coming at it from a way that 
like I said, not a lot of people hear about, you know, you're talking about an old rig, you know, that they convert and they're going down and studying fossils. And this is a guy, you know, whereas most people just, they saw their favorite, favorite celebrity on Twitter say we're killing the planet. And so they're like, well, ah, I guess we're killing the planet. And it's like, look, I, I, and me, just from my own perspective, we're obviously adding something into the atmosphere that if you, if we didn't use technology, you know, we wouldn't. So, you know, is there something we're doing and, you know, doing to the planet? I mean, you can't just be like, no, because we are, you know, we, we are emitting, you know, stuff into the atmosphere. Is it, you know, is it as damaging as much? Well, I don't know. I mean, we, you know, I'd love to have your professor on because I'm sure he'd love to have conversations, but you know, those aren't the people who get the airtime. They're not the ones on TV. And then when they do, and these people always, and they'll end up on Joe Rogan and then they want to, and then they want to kill Joe Rogan. Um, side note, I just thought of this that I want to mention too. So have you, there's a rig to reef program. Um, the Gulf of Mexico specifically where they do it, the Gulf of Mexico is basically like a desert. Um, there's not a lot of vegetation, not a lot of animals out there because there's no, not a lot of coral reefs and the reefs is where they grow their food. There's habitat, um, you know, uh, fish can like live there and grow their community. Um, right now they're taking old rigs and literally setting them out there and then algae grows on the rig and then fish come. And so they're built literally building ecosystems essentially like in the desert that is the Gulf of Mexico because they have these rigs. Isn't that oh, that's cool? awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that that's awesome. And people, people need to know about that. And hopefully people hear that. That's an awesome thing. So, yeah. okay. So we're, so we're regrowing, re, we're regrowing the ecosystem in the Gulf of Mexico, which is pretty dope, but uh, obviously, you know, there's going to be people, you know, the general idea is, you know, to want to move away, to move away from oil and gas, so to speak. What do you, what do you think about the future? I've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm very big on the nuclear energy, just yeah. from the stance of it being, I mean, of, it being the, the safest and best and most efficient because right now when it comes to the renewables, like we mentioned, the wind and solar, they can't do what natural gas, coal and oil are doing, which is still so many of our cities are run on coal still. I, I see I post the pictures of the trains, but nuclear energy puts all of it in the dust. So what, how do you feel about like the future of energy consumption and Yeah, um, I mean, I'm all for renewables. I think they're awesome. And there's a time and a place for it. But today, is not the time for a 100% conversion to renewables. It's just not, it doesn't make sense. Um, in as far as infrastructure goes, it doesn't make sense economically and it doesn't even make sense environmentally because like people don't realize I go out to substations and do inspections at electrical substations because they have oil. So <laughs> um, people don't realize that like those generators are full of oil and I have to go out there and inspect them because if there's leaks, if there's whatever, I need to take care of that. And those especially substations can be in the middle of literally nowhere where these companies haven't even been out there in months unless there's like a huge, like a fire or something obvious that they're like, oh, we got to get out there. Like they're, it could be leaking and they don't know it. Um, and then gosh, like wind turbines, the bane of my existence, cool concept, but I wish in, in a perfect Zoe world, we would have, <laughs> um, perfected them on a small scale and then put them everywhere because 
they are super temperamental. They um, can only operate between like at least X amount miles per hour, but no more than X amount of miles per hour. And really, so they're, they're limited. Windy, yeah, wow. if it's too windy, they're going to break. Um, so they turn off. Uh, they take 20 years to pay for themselves and they have a 20 year life expectancy. And then once, um, once they're, they die, they go to uh, wind turbine graveyards. You can literally Google wind turbine graveyard and it's just, they just put them in the ground. And I mean, if you think about like the paint, um, all the chemicals that are on it, obviously the metal, a lot of people will argue that and be like, oh, well they'll recycle parts or they'll reuse parts. That's few and far between. That's like the company that has the means to do so. Um, and then even transporting them. I mean, you've got to see it all the time where one huge semi is hauling one blade. One blade, yeah. Yeah. One, yeah, one does. Yeah, they go in a, they go in, I see them all the time on the, on high, especially in places like Texas. And uh, when you're, when you're on I-20 and I-10, oh yeah, you'll, you'll get, there'll be a convoy of, yeah, three trucks with the big, <laughs> huge blade with the type of thing. Then those, those guys are getting paid. But yeah, you're, yeah. you're talking about the, the burning of hundreds of gallons of diesel fuel to go out there. There's a, it's, that's the thing. I have always thought about things like windmills as like the, the knee jerk, you know, reaction to this, like, oh, if we could just build more, but like, like you said, I mean, we're putting them at a, you know, there's a finite amount of energy that can come from these windmills. And if we just want to flip the switch, like, you know, you're talking about hospitals going dark, you know, in a matter of, you know, minutes, you know, if, if we tried to flip the switch into renewables right now, I mean, you wouldn't be able to get to the general store down the road from your house, uh, you know, quick enough to get food. You know, we're, we're really held together on a, on a thin line of stuff. So, I mean, like I said, is there a way to bridge the gap into it? But I mean, I, I don't think the government should be picking the winners and losers on it. And, you know, there's the answer, like I said, you know, I'm pro nuclear, but I mean, it's, you, it's good. I mean, you, you're, you're for the renewables. You, you know, you want, you know, you want to move to better and safer energy consumption. Like, obviously, you know, you don't, you know, oil and gas is, is obviously king right now, but there's always accidents, there's spills and there's ways and you know, there's, there's ways to hopefully make that better. So that's cool. No, I, uh, I do. I appreciate your, your thoughts on that. And I can't wait yeah. to hear the, hear some feedback. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's ways. So also what kills me is um, like government restrictions because there's ways to make oil and gas safer for right now. Like, obviously, like you said, we're not switching overnight. So how can we make the best of what we have right now? Pipelines are the safest way to transport oil. And we have all like the Keystone pipeline shut down. That should never have happened, in my opinion, of course. Um, but like you said, uh, transporting it is pretty dangerous. Um, you know, you can transport it by truck. What if the truck, you know, gets in an accident? Uh, pipeline is the safest way to transport. Um, but people don't like it. It's not aesthetically pleasing if it's above ground. Um, that's probably the safest because if there's a leak or something, you know exactly where it is. You can clean it up the fastest and that's also probably the cheapest way to do it. Um, but underground pipeline is not a bad option either. It's protected. Um, as long as it's installed right, there really should be no issues to it. And, and then the environment can go back to how it looked before. Um, or if it's farm, it can go back to being used for farmland. Um, so pipeline is a huge deal um, that the government is definitely 
restricting and I think that's for the worst in this case. Um, what else? I mean, and yeah, we, and we see, and you know, I, we see that going on with, uh, well, in Europe right now, obviously the pipelines are being politicized because, I mean, the pipelines go from country to country. We're fortunate enough to where we could, you know, if we invested more in these pipelines, I mean, we don't have to worry about wars with Canada and Mexico. So we can we can all work together on that. And yeah, I, I never even thought of pipelines being like just quote unsafe. Like if we really want to talk about helping the environment, let's, yeah, let's, let's make the flow of, of that energy better. Yeah. Any, any professional in the environmental world? Well, I'll, I say that, but then there's like a bunch of people who are like, <laughs> I hate oil and gas or whatever that are like environmental people. Any, any oil and gas professional will tell you that pipeline is the safest option. Um, it just is. Sorry. If you hear Pecos, like, banging on the door out there. <laughs> Pegos, Pegos is their dog for, for anybody listening to this on the, on the audio. He's a, he's a, he's a wild boy, but awesome. But all right. So let's, uh, we, we've been talking for a while. Let's get right into hopefully why people wanted to tune in. You know, I remember back in 2008, uh, I was 18 and I was getting ready to go. I remember it was right before I had gone to basic training for the Marines gas was 434 a gallon, you know, in Waterbury back in Connecticut. And, um, you know, uh, Summer 08, I still had, I still managed to have fun, but you know, you were a baller if you had a full tank back then. I remember it was so, it was so, it was so funny. And then I got back from from boot camp, and gas was a buck eighty at this same gas station. So it was, uh, you know, and I kept, and I always said, you know, I always had this rolling joke like, what was their gold in the gas before they did this? So I remember that happening, and my parents always talked about, you know, what happened in the 70s, and that was kind of linked to the Arab oil embargo. But so what's what's going on right now? You know what? Why, in in your eyes and in your professional opinion, why why are the prices you know sky high at the moment? Is it, can we blame you? You know, just blame it on Vladimir Putin. You know, can we? What what's the real cause behind it? So um, I don't know if you're familiar with how pricing works. Uh, pricing. So if you look on RigZone, they're they're setting prices for October right now. So the prices, um, if if Biden goes to OPEC next week and is like, can you make gas a dollar a gallon? And it just so happens the next day, gas is so much cheaper. That is not from that event. Um, that it's completely unrelated. They set prices about six weeks out. Um, I don't really know why they do that. That's just how they do it. Uh, well, I, I look at OPEC like a cartel. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, uh, and then uh, gas prices are set in U.S. dollars. Um, what else? Right now, I know that uh, actually, hold on. I, I'm going to switch over to my big zone that I screenshot from last night. Uh, Go for all it. Right. First, first sentence, oil rose after a government report showed the U.S. is exporting a record number of crude and refined products as the market waits to learn whether nuclear negotiations will clear a path for Iran to sell more oil. So I wanted to talk about um, how we're exporting a record number of crude and refined products. A lot of people are, um, a lot of people might be upset about that. Like, why aren't we keeping the crude and refined products for ourselves? Um, the issue is, is that our refineries are set up to refine sour crude. Um, and in the U.S., we typically or we produce more sweet crude. 
So sweet crude is less acidic and it's a lot easier to refine. Um, and I really, it's kind of, I'm sure there's an interesting reason of why the U.S. is set up to produce or to refine sour crude. It's more of like a globalist stance on it. Um, but so we export our sour or our sweet crude to countries that um, are able to refine it. And then we import uh, sour crude, which is a lot cheaper than sweet crude. And then we refine it here. Um, it's a bit more technically challenging to refine sour crude. Um, so sometimes like less advanced or countries or less developed countries are more likely to refine sweet crude. Um, but that's why we can't just, oh, we're producing so much. Why can't we just keep it here and make it cheaper for us? Um, that's why. We're not, we're not equipped to refine the oil that uh we're exporting is what right. you're saying and, yeah and we're i mean you can't just build that overnight so okay so be- yeah okay so you're you're uh, so no i think that's something i remember we had talked about this uh offline before you had mentioned this about the you know what you keep saying sweet and sour it makes me think of sour patch kids <laughs> so i mean we're, production has ramped up but we yeah uh, we just don't have the facilities to um to refine you know the type of oil that we're actively exporting which makes sense so you're so it's a supply it, it it right down to it it's a it's a supply issue of why fuel prices have gone up and then we're basically relying on opec um who there's a lot of people who are saying that opec is not able to produce more at the moment which may be the case um or that they just don't want to because they're a cartel they can literally do whatever they want um so that i'm not really sure um what i think the case is whether they're just like fucking us over because they can or if they really are not able to produce any more right now um i'm not really sure no okay so you know do you what do you so what do you um so if you're saying, you know, so there's really nothing we can kind of do to lower the price besides increase supply. Um, you know, what do you think going into, you know, we've made it through summer, Labor Day's coming. You know, what's what's your prediction on uh, on the on the price of gas for some people, for, for the listeners? What do you think? You hopeful? You optimistic? I, I'm a glass half full guy. So I'm, you know, I, I've been happier now. Like lately, you know, with fuel prices, like, yeah, it's still high. It's in the fours. I got one for you know. I got some for three ninety eight. It's not ideal, but you know, can we be hopeful or what? Um, they they always say the summer driving season is most expensive, so uh, we're closing out on summer. Um, and that way, it should be looking a little cheaper. Um, I've noticed that price has also been affected a lot by different COVID strains coming out, different variants. Um, it'll go up if there's a new um issue uh or like blow up of case numbers um even not only domestically but also like in china where they're shutting down villages and cities and stuff um that affects gas too just with like moving it even like shipping it over however they move it um and they also lean into like uh just what they what they think might happen 
Um, it's which is that which which I find funny. Yeah, and I've read that before. That they're they're basing the price off of the future. Yeah, they they um, base the price off of like how they feel, like you and I are feeling. If if they think we're feeling like going out and having fun, then they might lower the price because we'll be using more gas to get out. If they think that um, we're worried about COVID, they're gonna raise the price because supply and demand. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's what they're, so they're really going on social media and, and judging honestly, people. Yeah, I yeah. Really think so. And then also, um, oh gosh, oh, and then politics, of course. Um, whatever political environment plays a role. Um, uh, are midterms coming up? Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, Senate and House seats uh, up for, yeah. up for grabs in the, this November. So I'm sure I'm sure prices will probably come down in November. That's 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 my prediction. We will see, but yeah, should be uh, getting a little better in the next few weeks, I would say. All right, good. So you you heard it from Zoe. Everyone should out there should keep their head up. Um, I think we this is a good conversation. We we went on for a while. We're you know we're at uh, we're at thirty seven minutes right now. Uh, is there is there anything else you want to leave, leave anybody with? Any, anything you want to leave out? Any fun any fun facts? Anything? Yeah, I would love. I would love to give a fun fact. This also caught my eye off a Red Zone report yesterday. Um, let me pull it up again. Um, Chevron is exploring peanuts as a renewable fuel source. Approximately twenty percent of U.S. peanut crop is produced in Texas. So, fun fact about oil and gas companies, especially the big ones, um, when when oil is doing well and they're making money. Oh, side note, I gotta say this is also. Uh, people will say, oh, oil companies can lower prices because they're doing so well. They're making millions every day. Um, overall, no, they're not. Uh, they lost a fuck ton during COVID. Um, so they're like probably just at even right now if you take into account the last few years. Anyways, um, when oil is doing well, uh, big companies are able to um, run little side teams for research and development on different uh, renewable options. So I remember Shell did um, an LG study a few years back. Um, and that was really big. Like all my friends were like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like they're studying algae and how to turn that into fuel. Um, so yeah, I guess Chevron is working on peanuts right now. No, that would be, that's actually pretty dope. I, I mean, I figured... They must have some excess cash laying around now because they definitely made a. They definitely had quite the boon over the summer. Uh, so no, that that'd be pretty cool to see in the future. We'll have to check back in on that. But yeah. um, no, that's good. I'm glad you came on. We're, we're gonna have you. We're gonna have you on for part two though because we're gonna we're, we'll dive deeper into some of the climate change stuff. Change stuff because it, it's interesting. Like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, there's there's a lot of people and everybody ha you know everybody on social media has opinions. I've got them and I share them. You know, often too. Uh, but you know, a lot of people like at the end of the day, it's just, you know, what does, what does some fucking actor in Hollywood really know? I mean, they, you know, they go and they say that, Oh, I talked to a scientist and it's like, but you know, we, did they, did they go to A&M? Did they take one class? You know, did they, did they figure, you know, did they try to learn anything more besides talking to somebody who's within their own echo chamber? And, um, uh, that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on is because, 
you know, it's a way for hopefully people to get outside of their echo chamber and, you know, have that conversation with people as opposed to just being like, no, you're wrong, you know, shut up. Like, you know, anybody who's going to, if anybody gives me feedback, like, I don't like the person you just had on your podcast. And it's just like, well, I mean, what are you, you know, stand your credentials up to her. And if you're just going to quote, you know, whatever, you know, so if you're just going to quote whatever name you saw on Twitter that had MD next to the name, then, then so be it. I mean, I, I can't, I can't change everybody's mind, but that's why I wanted to have you on. So, so thank you. No, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. it. Uh, it was fun chatting. No, it's good. It's good to chat. Good to catch up. Um, you know, normally when I talk to people, it's only over the phone. So it's, it's cool to do, you know, it's cool to do a video like this and, you know, yeah. hopefully and, and for anybody who made it to the end, who's still listening, um, now that I can figure out this StreamYard thing, I might just have to go ahead and pay for the damn thing yeah. or whatever the service is. I'll have to, I'll put, maybe I can put it under the business account, put it on the business name so you're I can, so to, I can get some more guests on. You're going to have to tell me more about the environmental uh, stuff that truckers have to deal with. Um, Cause I am interested, especially like the California stuff. How it's different with exhaust and things. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, I could say that. I, I'll actually say that right now. So, obviously, newer trucks are equipped with diesel exhaust systems, which clean the emissions of the truck. So, it, it, it does, it's not emitting carbon because it sprays this diesel exhaust fluid, which is actually genetically modified urine. It smells just like piss. It's like it has urea in it and water. And it sprays in the engine and cleans the emissions. Now, you don't. So technically, like, you're required to have it. And in California, if you get caught, you'll get boned really heavy. But a lot of guys will go into the computer of their truck and delete the DPF system. And they do this to save money and also because the DPF system has a lot of sensors. It can cause problems and sh it'll shut you down. So they'll delete it so that way that, um, that they don't have – they'll just keep the def tank full, but it's not using any def. And it, But if you get caught – but guys when they do that they just won't go to california because they'll you'll get a full thing on there but now i can't do that and i and i probably won't do it because you know i'm too guilty to do it but yeah no there's a lot more into it like there's you know there's the if the fuel tax licenses there's a whole bunch of you know shit like that and there's stuff that's changing too i mean electric trucks electric trucks are on the way you know tesla wants one and i know uh freightliners coming out with one we'll see how they do in minnesota in december but you know, yeah. yeah, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll have you back on soon. We'll, de we'll definitely chat. This makes for, Sweet. this makes for good content. So, yeah, you know, I'll sure. just, but yeah, let's say, uh, let's close it out there. Um, appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, if you got any questions, if you want me to ask Zoe any questions, reach out to me and I'll send them her way and, you know, we'll make for, we'll make for another episode, another, another video. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, drive safe, Mike. Good talking to you. Good talking to you too. And we'll, we'll see you on the next one.